President Trump heads to NATO, but not more not before telling allies to pay up again. Plus, Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee kicks off his Trump offensive as the battle just begins. And it's deadline day for the White House, and it's likely to come up short. This is the State of America tonight. I will nominate Judge Brett Kavanaugh. If confirmed by the Senate, I will keep an open mind in every case. Brett Kavanaugh has gotten rave reviews. I will oppose him with everything I've got. NATO has not treated us fairly, but I think we'll work something out. America does not have and will not have a better ally than Europe. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. What is the plan to reunite these children with their parents? We have laws, we have borders. Don't come to our country illegally. Hello, everyone. I'm Kate Baldwin, live in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America tonight. The reviews are just coming in, but if you ask, if you talk to President Trump, his Supreme Court nominee is already a slam dunk. Brett Kavanaugh has gotten rave reviews, rave reviews, actually from both sides. And I think it's going to be a, a beautiful thing to watch over the next month, but he has gotten rave reviews. Rave, rave reviews from Republicans, largely yes. It's exactly what you expect from President Trump. Here he was on a campaign trail, a big question for somebody to become president. Who would you select to Supreme Court? Not only did he not just say who he would, he put a list out to the American public. He's keeping his promise. Yes, but rave reviews from both sides, as the president also said, hardly. Well, he's obviously the most political nominee we've seen uh, set up for the Supreme Court in decades. And what bothers me is the Supreme Court is supposed to be an independent branch of government. It's not supposed to be there for liberals or conservatives, Republicans or Democrats, but for all Americans. But Brett Kavanaugh's fate is now not up to all Americans. It's up to 100 Americans, the 100 lawmakers who make up the U.S. Senate, where Brett Kavanaugh will face his first hearings and then a vote before the whole body at some point. But let us not get too far ahead of ourselves right now. First step in the process, courtesy calls on Capitol Hill. His first visit with the top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. I think the president made an outstanding nomination. We look forward to the confirmation uh, process and it will unfold in the next few weeks. And likely every and like every Supreme Court nominee before him, his record, Kavanaugh's record, is now immediately under the microscope. Three areas of focus, largely, at least right now, his rulings on Obamacare, his writings on abortion rights and his view on a president under investigation, something definitely not lost on Democrats. On this issue, the Mueller issue, which came up after the vetting by these two groups, uh, he's probably the most extreme. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was very important to Donald Trump, knowing Donald Trump, and I have no proof. Do you think he didn't inquire about this right. either directly or indirectly, knowing Donald Trump? What do you think? Here's what this is all about. Kavanaugh wrote in a 2009 article about presidential power and investigating a president. And in part, he wrote this. The indictment... <clears throat> and trial of a sitting president, moreover, would cripple the federal government, rendering it unable to function with credibility in either the international or domestic arenas. He also wrote this, a president who is concerned about an ongoing criminal investigation is almost inevitably going to do a worse job. 
as president. This is somewhat surprising coming from someone who cut his teeth working for the special counsel who investigated then-President Bill Clinton. But one Supreme Court analyst explains. That was because of his service with George W. Bush. He uh, worked in the White House for five years, uh, three of those years very closely with George Bush as staff secretary. And he said he saw up close the distractions um, that a president could have away from the important business of, uh, you know, running the executive branch. So what does the White House have to say about this? Does the president the agree with the 2009 I, writing? I haven't asked the president about that writing. Um, But I will say that overall, he finds Judge Kavanaugh through his many opinions, through his many writings, Mm -hmm. through um, his decade plus of service now in the D.C. Court of Appeals to be uh, an individual of the highest caliber, an individual is more than fit to serve on the Supreme Court. Translation, nothing to see here, folks. And what about Kavanaugh's views on abortion rights, which could be a key issue for key votes in the Senate? President Trump has said more than once that he would appoint pro-life anti-abortion rights judges throughout the campaign and beyond. Safe to assume that here then? Well, last night, the president made the case that he has not asked. I do not ask about a nominee's personal opinions. What matters is not a judge's political views, but whether they can set aside those views to do what the law and the Constitution require. While there has long been a debate in this country where the Constitution stands on abortion rights, there is one element of the Constitution not up for debate right now. The role of the Senate in all of this to advise and consent on a Supreme Court nominee. So let the games begin there and let the games begin here. The president is about to touch down in Brussels for the NATO summit. Just before he left, he also offered up his latest review of the International International Alliance. In summary, not two thumbs up. NATO has not treated us fairly, but I think we'll work something out. We pay far too much, and they pay far too little. But we will work it out. We spend at least 70% for NATO, and frankly, it helps them a lot more than it helps us. Tough words, but but on this one, Trump is not alone. Both Barack Obama and George W. Bush before him made the same case to the alliance. One Republican senator says it goes back even further. Uh, Eisenhower made statements about NATO. Kennedy made statements about NATO. Nixon made statements about NATO. There's a long historic process of the United States pushing on NATO allies uh, to say you've got to step up and actually meet your commitments. Maybe so. What then should those allies make of statements like this? So I have NATO. I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil. And I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? Herein lies a perfect chance to remind us all what Putin has been involved in just recently. Meddling in the 2016 U.S. election, the illegal annexation of Crimea, invading eastern Ukraine, supporting Assad in Syria, and the U.K. says using a nerve agent that has now killed at least one British British citizen on British soil. So let's try this again. Uh, I really can't say right now, as far as I'm concerned, a competitor, a competitor. I think that getting along with Russia, getting along with China, getting along with others is a good thing. If getting along with others is a good thing, let's see if that extends to NATO allies as well. So I guess 
hold your reviews on that one. We'll see. And it seems the reviews, though, are just now rolling in for this one. What became, what has become a painstaking process of reuniting children separated from their families as the result of the president's zero-tolerance immigration policy. Today was the day the youngest of these children separated were supposed to be back with their parents. That was a court order. The Justice Department now says that of the more than 100 children under the age of five who were to be reunited, only 38 of them should be back with their parents today. That's just about a third. That's just about a not a good review on any measure. The government says also says that another 27 children have been deemed ineligible to be reunified due to issues involving a parent. The government argues that those that the numbers show it is still in compliance with the court order. Immigration attorneys disagree. The government, by their own admission, they are saying they need more time because they don't have procedures in place for reunifications. They didn't keep paperwork or tracking across. The records were not kept. In some cases, uh, the New York Times has reported that they were destroyed. So now, uh, for lack of a better term, the government is sort of winging it to comply as quickly as possible with these court decisions. When asked what he thought about his administration's uh, his administration missing the deadline, President Trump said this. I have a solution. Tell people not to come to our country illegally. That's the solution. Don't come to our country illegally. Come like other people do. Come legally. So it seems gone are the days of the president saying that he hated to see the images of the children ripped away from their parents. But make no mistake, this problem isn't going away, no matter what talking point you throw at it. Not going away for the families, for sure, or for the president, or for the Congress that still has done nothing about it. We'll stay on top of it. Coming up for us, they say keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Is that the whole Donald Trump foreign policy strategy in a nutshell right now? The panel weighs in next. President Trump is about to start a long week full of international diplomacy. What could go wrong? He's already at odds with his NATO allies about military funding, and he's scheduled to sit down with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Do not worry, though. Trump says that the meeting with Putin will be the easiest part of it all. Let's figure out why. The panel tonight, Catherine Rempel is here, CNN political commentator and Washington Post opinion columnist. Jeff Balaban is a member of Donald Trump's re-election advisory board. Patrick Healy is CNN political analyst and New York Times politics editor. And Rich Galen is a Republican strategist and publisher of Mullings.com. Hello, everybody. Um, Patrick, so criticism of NATO has become a reoccurring theme for President Trump, right? NATO is worse than NAFTA is one of the things we've heard. He said... Today, we pay too much, they pay too little, he's tweeting about it on the plane, yada, yada, yada. If he wants to fight, if he wants to fight about this, what form is it going to take when he lands in Brussels? He's strangely comfortable fighting with allies. He likes to draw lines in the sand with allies, and particularly about the message, and this is very much his America First message, that the, that the United States is being ripped off. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been a theme throughout the campaign throughout a lot of his uh, his trade policies and sort of jawboning about it. I mean, the, the problem is, is that usually, uh, typically with Republican presidents, as well as Democratic presidents, you've had administrations that want to have 
trade, healthy, robust, free trade relationships with allies. And what, what, you, what it comes up with with President Trump is, again, what is his end game here? Just like with China and yeah. tariffs and the trade war, what is he realistically expecting from uh, France, from Germany, from England, where the economic growth rate is, is not necessarily what it is in America, where our, you would say our geopolitical interests are different in terms of uh, in terms of the support of NATO. What what is his end game here? It's just pay more. Dang it, um, <laughs> Catherine. But Obama made a similar case, mm-hmm. albeit different words. Bush made a similar case, albeit different words. They think that other allies should be contributing more to the collective defense, if you will. Um, if this gets if this gets NATO allies to pay more, this public shame game. Do the ends justify the means? Uh, I I don't necessarily think so. Look, they have been paying more. It's true that they're still not contributing enough, but they have been paying more. They did step up how much they were paying under Obama as well. Mm -hmm. I think the real risk here is that we're alienating our allies. We are doing, we're playing exactly into Putin's hands who wants to uh, break apart this this strong bond that Europeans have amongst themselves and with the United States. Because remember, it's in the United States' own interest to protect and and safeguard the peace, prosperity, and stability. stability of Europe. It is not in uh, Russia's interest to achieve those very goals. So I I do worry that by creating more friction between us and our allies there, that uh, we are harming our own interests and that there might be other better ways to achieve these particular ends if, if in fact, all he cares about is getting them to pay more. And Jeff, I mean, Trump's NATO ambassador told Christiane Amanpour that Trump, here's a quote, has very great respect for our allies. I mean, that might that might absolutely be true. It just kind of comes across as a funny way to show it sometimes. Well, you know, he's he's blunt and he's direct and he's effective. I mean, he, he's he's shaking things up in a lot of places in the world and he's delivering things that others haven't really delivered. And you pointed out that it's that that other presidents before him have tried to urge the other NATO allies to be a little more, uh, you know, to, st- to to take a little more responsibility financially for what we're basically doing for the world or for that part of the world. And I think that President Trump is uh, pushing in the way President Trump does in his more likely to, to get the respect and results that America needs. Because remember, it's not really an entitlement. I mean, they're coasting a little bit on our backs, and I think the president's pushing in a way that really, that really it's does... Not like, it's not like a public... It's not like the kitty. Like, you, it's not like you're like all contributing to this just big pot of money. It's just It was a goal standard that was set in 2014 that they had 10 years to reach by 2024. Well, it was in 2006. I had the NATO ambassador on who was right. there at the time, and he said, in 2014 is when we made the standard, when the world leaders right. agreed to the standard, and the, we were, the goal is to get there by 2024. What is he going after? Why does this bother so, him so, so much? I, I, think, I think that... that the contrast which, which people are talking about between this approach to our allies and to Putin, who's clearly at best a rival, let's say, or a competitor, I think, it's, I think that Trump is playing it in a way that's very interesting to me, in a way that I appreciate, which is, you know, there are allies, and we support them and they support us, but they're also taking advantage of us a little bit in ways that we prefer that they take less advantage of us. Putin, it's a lot easier. He's a competitor. We pretty much, let's figure out where the red lines are. Let's figure out where we can compete, where we can, where we can get along. And, 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 he, and he made reference to that. He said it, it, you know, it might almost be easier dealing with him in a certain sense that there's a little less um, baloney about the, what, what the nature of the relationship is. Well, do you think but, that's but it? Is that do you think that's mean, No, here's what I think. Yeah. Two things. One, Trump doesn't have a strategic synapse in his head. Everything is transactional. He wakes up in the morning and said, what can I screw up today? 
and sometimes oh, it's right. NATO. And the other part of it is that he sees NATO as being under the American tent, the American defense tent. And he treats it exactly like his family treats the buildings, the projects in Queens. You're late on your rent, you're out. He doesn't, the fact is that NATO and these other, organ, these other multinational organizations, we have a strategic interest in making them strong. And if it costs us a little more, we're the richest country in the history of the universe. We can afford it. We're doing well. If they need a little bit more, look how many migrants they've taken that we have. Of course, we can't take any migrants from anywhere. We don't like that they've taken those migrants. It, it is, they, those are, they, those they are exactly the kind of policies that hurt us. Donald no, they those don't are the exactly kind of policies that hurt us, which they can do because they're under our umbrella. They are under our tent. And, right. You know, all right? And, and, and so we should be pushing back a little bit and saying, you know, we don't love some of your policies. And maybe if you take a little more responsibility, right, then you'll have to come a little more in line. It's they, all part of the They aren't taking responsibility. They're taking in refugees who are fleeing a, a, a conflict in a world, that, in, in, in an area that we have inflamed. Right. Well, you, you right. Know, okay. The President, okay. President, Trump, <laughs> the President you know, you know that those countries themselves are beginning to realize that their policies are hurting those countries. It's been hurting the West in general that they've had this kind of a policy that says, we're going to take you in as opposed to, we're going to try and help you what we've always done with refugees well, this in is, your area. This is a real form. This is a real debate. Yes. On, on where the line, I mean, this is a debate that is happening right now in Europe. This is a ba- debate that is clearly playing out here, but go ahead. No, I just want to say, I mean, it's very interesting. President Trump is someone who really likes to be liked and likes to be respected. And when he's in the room with these leaders, he's often but doing the, the love. That, it's in the media. It's on Twitter. And this goes to what he's trying to communicate to his Republican base. And it is always this us against them thing. It's always this sort of sort of creating a sense of division against a sort of resentment. When you have an enemy, we're being picked on, when you have an enemy, when it comes to Russia. But do you think, do you, do you, just real quick, what, um, what Jeff is saying about Russia, is it easiest because there's less baloney? Do you think that's... Wh- I think he's. I think he knows. I think he knows what he's doing with with Putin in the sense that um, he knows that there the conversation in this country is uh, is a great deal about Russian meddling. That was more than the poking a finger at the media no, no, than no, I wanted to say. I think it's either. It's, I think he but, just. I, I think he knows. But it's even even in, in the White House lawn this morning, he he was chiding the EU for buying gas from Russia giving them all these billions of dollars. Oh, he's, yeah, he's not making friends with Putin. He's saying... Well, we, he's, he's he says saying, he's Putin's saying, very... He's a fine guy. Well, he's, okay, well, he's, we'll saying, see he's, he's a direct competitor. We'll and, see, and or, maybe, or maybe we won't, because there will be nobody in the room except for them and translators. Right. Anyway, we'll see. Coming up, Democrats are promising an all-out battle to block Donald Trump's Supreme Court pick. But what can they really do to stop Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation? Ridge me this, Batman. The panel weighs it on that next. Senator, on the question of Roe v. Wade, if confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, I would follow Roe v. Wade faithfully and fully. That would be binding precedent in the court. It's been decided by the Supreme Court. Your own opinion. Yeah. And I'm saying if I were confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, Senator, I would follow it. It's been reaffirmed many times, including in Planned Parenthood. I understand, but what is your opinion? You're not on the bench yet. You've talked about these issues in the past to other people, I'm sure. The Supreme Court has held repeatedly, Senator, and I don't think it would okay. be appropriate for me to give up. Not going to answer the question. Case. 
The art of the artful dodge under questioning. That's Judge Brett Kavanaugh way back in 2006 dodging the question on his stance on the case that legalized abortion in the United States. It's one of several major, major issues at the center of his nomination fight and will continue to be. But will senators get an answer this time around? Don't count on it. The panel is back with me, though. Patrick. Smart money is, well, we're looking at a Republican majority. We're looking at a Republican president who made a conventional Republican pick, a conservative pick, sorry, um, when it comes to a judge. Smart money is, the guy's getting confirmed. The guy will get confirmed. Right. But how bloody and expensive is it going to be to that point? Uh, I mean, the Democrats have a decision to make there. I mean, they uh, do they want to go to war if three of their, you know, incumbent Democrats who are up in red states uh, break with them, you know. I mean, they're going to be under a lot of pressure, especially in these, these sort of early weeks, to, to make that call out. I mean, you're already seeing, um, you know, in North Dakota and in Indiana, uh, you know, uh, real pressure coming from the opponents in West Virginia, mm-hmm. sort of Mike Pence, the vice president, calling out Joe Manchin and saying, you know, you've got to be with this guy. So the Democrats, I mean, they, they, they very much want to go to war over this. They want it from the point of view of certainly kind of energizing the base and focusing it. But I guess the question is, if, if they feel like confirmation is going to happen, they have to decide how much to sort of prolong this and keep their, you know, yeah. keep their own three what candidates think, in the crosshairs. I think it all depends on uh, Senator Murkowski from Alaska and Senator Collins from Maine. The, the two Republicans. Maine, the two Republican women, moderate women. If they feel comfortable with them and say they're going to vote for them, then the game is over. And I think at that point, Schumer says to those three senators, you're, save your seat. You're off the hook. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way of putting it. But how long will Collins and Murkowski drag this out? Well, That's it depends on how much fun. money everybody thinks they can raise, you know, in fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, not really. cynical but true. <laughs> yeah. Cynical but true. Jeff, um, Repu- former Republican Senator Rick Santorum, he actually said last night that he thinks that this pick wasn't one that would energize the base, um, that Trump had bowed to the elite in Washington, is how Rick Santorum put it. Do you see it that way? I think that there's there are some people... Who, who want Brett Kavanaugh to be more doctrinaire and less, less strict constitutional strict constructionist, mm-hmm. meaning want, wanted to start talking about uh, the issues themselves as opposed to how he would interpret the Constitution. And so there are some people who would like to see him be a, a crusader for, you know, for pro-life. That's not what he's going to be. That's not what he is. Uh, but by and large, uh, I think people are very satisfied with this vote because they do, because look, the, the base by and large believes that Roe versus Wade wasn't decided correctly under the Constitution. And so their issue is, there are two issues here. There's the issue with the policy, there's the issue with the constitutional law. So I think overall, people are very satisfied with this choice and feel that the chips are going to fall where the chips fall based on someone who cares about the Constitution more than about a particular policy. Interesting, though, because you have so many people when it comes to Roe versus Wade abortion rights that lawmakers have been dancing around what they think about it. And even the administration, Donald Trump had made very clear during the campaign that he is going to put on the bench pro-life, you know, anti-abortion rights judges. And now it's, I don't know, I can't talk about it. My view, honestly, is that while Roe v. Wade has taken up a lot of airtime lately, particularly in the lead up to, the, mm-hmm. to whoever Trump's yeah. uh, pick would be, I think the bigger flashpoints are going to be probably on other issues going forward, including with the future of Obamacare, uh, the future of the regulatory powers of the executive branch. And Kavanaugh has uh, said many times over that he has a much more limited view about what the executive branch can do. He said it in previous cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other issue going forward will have to do with with 
uh, this law review article that he wrote several years ago in which he said essentially that Congress should shield the president um, from facing any sort of uh, civil or criminal indictment yeah. um, or, or even questioning. By so fascinating. Keep in mind in he wrote office. that in, in 2009 yes. when Obama was there. He didn't, yeah. he didn't write that in defense of a Republican. But, but, but I do but think me, it's going to be a flashpoint I, going forward. I agree with you. But somebody, somebody I yes. wish it were me said last night, this is, this is a, a, a relatively minor switch from Kennedy. This is replacing broccoli with broccolini on oh. your plate. I do like broccolini. Well, I'll just say go. that. Just all, in terms of the food front. It's okay? all, broccoli it's, Rob, it's don't all, talk to me about it's it. It's all this is, is that the same thing? Day 537 of President Trump's administration. This I actually don't know the answer to. I can answer everything else except is broccolini the same as broccoli Rob? We'll talk about it in a break. It's also 119 days until the midterm elections. Important things on State of America tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Seriously, is it? Is broccoli Rob... Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.